Hi, my name is Antonia Dominguez. And I'm Linda Coogan. And you're listening to Wine, the Long and the Short of It. In proud partnership with Give Wine a Future. So Linda, here we are for episode 12, which is our last episode of this season. Can you believe it? Episode 12, the big finale. So for this episode, we're actually going to do a bit of a double whammy. It's not that we're going Woo-hoo. to do a double whammy, but we're going to give it a, a little bit extra. Um, and we're going to talk about a really important theme, one that's very close to our hearts, um, which is related to our sponsor, our proud partner, Give Wine a Future, which we haven't talked about really. We haven't explained it. So we, we have an opportunity to do that now as well. It's hard, by the way, not to, you know, obviously it's a serious topic and it's it's hard to get away from that fact. Um, but, you know, we have a few bloopers at the end of this to, to get for you to, to keep you wait with bated breath <laughs> might uh you know it might help us to hold your attention for a little we're, while we're while actually we talk arguing about, about which ones to include as well and, i know uh, i'm like Go for i'm drawing the, the line yeah. i'm drawing the line on a few putting <laughs> the foot down um so look i think it's important to say give one a future it is um a movement by finn later and co and we're really proud to be their partners in this um in this message, I suppose, um, which they've, they've they've gotten behind in a big way. And um, it, it kind of all kickstarted. You might remember we went to the um, portfolio. Well, it actually kickstarted with virtual seminars that Finn later held in November 2021 about Give On a Future. And they pulled in, you know, different players and different producers in the trade to talk about what they're doing about sustainability and what they're doing about climate change. And um and then after that, there was um, a portfolio tasting in March of this year in the Shelburne. Do you remember that one? It was absolutely brilliant. Um, and um, there were some masterclasses um, given by the great Roisin Curley MW, by Mick O'Connell MW, another brilliant man, brilliant person in the trade. And um, a few other, I think there was a producer from Connoisseur. And it was really brilliant. And and I suppose the whole point I remember, you know, in the in their little booklet, they said they talked about the the importance of putting a spotlight on this topic and the fact that climate change is real and its impact is brutal. And the IPCC report that had come out in 2021 was stark in its warning of this. And um, I suppose what they're trying to do, it's not about Finlater, it's about bringing people in the trade together in this movement and in creating this awareness of the importance of sustainability in the wine industry and its reach. And um, and so we're really delighted to have this movement as, as our proud sponsor. It, it gives us a springboard into, um, obviously, into the world of wine in terms of getting our message out there and talking about wine, creating awareness, um, informing and, and hopefully offering some useful guidance to the consumers, but also spreading this message of sustainability, which is really fundamental. Completely agree with all of that. And uh, I was lucky to be on some of the very first uh, virtual tastings with Finlaters when they when they started this movement where you were sent out a couple of bottles of wine and had a meet and greet with the, the winemakers and the people who were getting behind this whole Give Wine a Future movement. So I kind of I saw it from the, the ground up and I was really fascinated, but kind of wondered where it was going to go and how it was going to be. 
And this for us was just like, you know, we, we obviously want this uh, podcast to, to get a bigger reach and to, to get into the, the ears of as many people as possible because we obviously like waffling about wine and, um, some episodes obviously were a bit more crack than others, but this is a fundamental thing that they're, you know, we want wine to continue in the future and we want people to, you know, be mindful of what they're, you know, putting into their temples, their bodies and all the rest. Cause obviously I do. I'm so skinny. Ha <laughs> ha. And um, well, it's you know, about it's not even about what we're putting into our bodies, but I think it's about our futures. No, plan, no, if you agree, but again, if, yeah. if people are obsessed with the whole, you know, a vegan wine and organic grapes. And I think I suppose in episode four, we kind of went even beyond that again in our short introduction to organic and natural wines and the fundamental part for us both of us said it back then before we had a sponsor that uh, you know sustainability was what we were about and and the future of wine and that's why this sits so perfectly with both of us no no this is this is yeah so go on do you want to I know you yeah I, I think look I think it's in we could start with a few stark facts um, okay in an upbeat way maybe Maybe we'll try, we'll try, but I think it's important to, you know, as a starting point, I know, I know you're putting your head in your hands saying, oh God, what's coming? What depressing facts are coming our way? But in, when Finn later alluded to the IPCC report, I think it's important to kind of give it a bit of context as to what we're dealing with, because it's easy. I think, I think the average consumer is really so, even myself included at times, so far removed you know, you're making decisions and you're really not thinking about sustainability and the planet and floods and sea levels rising and droughts. And you're not thinking about it. You know, you, you feel like it's, it's totally, you're absolutely exactly. Not you're, it yeah. feels like a world away from mm-hmm. you. It's not going to affect you. It's nothing to do with you. It's very, very Ireland is a winemaking country as such. Do you know that kind of way? Like we, we just get it in, it's on our shelves and we see it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have lots of choice here. So I think it's kind of important that we understand where these wines come from, how they get there and, and the impact and yes. what they can do. So a few important facts, as I say, this IPCC, that stands for Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is the world's most authoritative body on climate uh, change um, so far. And they reported that the world will probably reach or exceed 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming within the next two decades, right? So that's a considerable amount. I mean, at that, you're talking about increased bushfires, increased um, um, incidents of catastrophic floods, droughts, all of that, right? Which obviously affects not only the wine industry or wine production, but, you know, the livelihoods and the lives of so many. So that's just um, one basic fact. It is stark. Mm -hmm. But what they say is that's only... um, they said that's only if we're able to meet sort of our commitments on CO2 um, emission cuts as as they have been established now. So I don't want to ask me how to quantify them because I don't have a clue. But obviously, globally, there is a commitment to reduce CO2 emissions. And if we meet those targets, we're looking at a 1.5 degree Celsius uh, increase in temperature over the next two decades, no matter how you cut it. Right? Are you serious? Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, and then they go on to say yeah. limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius by the end of the century is still within reach, but requires transformational change. 
So that's absolutely everybody doing something. That's every single person making um making little changes, decision, I making a choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um making a conscious decision to to choose sustainability or to, you know, to choose um, you know, obviously to, to make a conscious decision to change their buying decision or their habits or whatever the case may be. So we have to redefine the way in which we use and produce energy, make and consume goods and services, manage the land, etc. And it goes down to the simple things in the home. Um, and then it says, um, like there's some really like just really harsh facts. It reports that no region will be left untouched by the impacts of climate change with enormous human and economic costs that far outweigh the cost of action. And we're talking about every corner of the, of, of the earth. Changes in snow, ice, river flooding, um, which will impact infrastructure, transport, energy production, everything, you name it. Um, and then it says, the report profiles the consequences of the world warming by 1.5 degrees Celsius and how much worse the effects will be if temperature rises by two degrees or four degrees. If we're going down that road, forget about it. It's all over. It's Armageddon. Like it's I don't mean dramatic effects. I don't mean to sound dramatic, but like it says, it says, now listen to this, this is big. At three degrees and five degrees Celsius, respectively, projections suggest an eventual near complete loss of the Greenland ice sheet, which holds enough ice to raise sea levels by 7.2 metres. Melting of this level will redefine coastlines everywhere. And that's a fact. Like this is serious stuff. And we it's very easy to remove ourselves from it. And as I say, me included. So I'm not preaching to anybody. I read a report about cows and it said, um, it was by UC Davis. And it says, I'm sorry, I had to laugh a little bit. It says, um, let me find what it says exactly because I don't want to. I wouldn't want to misquote anything like well, that. Well, I definitely don't want to misquote anything about cows. It says, um, my cousin Adel- would buy a wine if it had a cow on the label, by the way, and with the animals on the label. She'd buy animals on the label. That's a brilliant yeah. episode in itself, isn't it? It really is. So. Yeah. Um, I just love the way this was, uh, this was, uh, you take your time. Sorry. I'm in a hurry. Okay. So cattle are the number one agricultural source of greenhouse gases worldwide, right? Each year, a single cow will belch about 220 pounds of methane. (laughs) Sorry, I just just thought it sounded very funny. But it says cows and other ruminants account for just 4% of all greenhouse gases producing the states and just uh and beef cattle just two percent now look that's in the states so globally that's a lot a lot less i saw a statistic of it's one point something percent anyway the point is it's like it seems like a very small number and it is a small number um but you know it's all contributory and the wine sector is is certainly also relatively small in terms of its contribution to global warming Right. And hang on. And I have to dig out. Well, we can all say, oh, everything's a little piece, a little piece, a little piece. And then it all bloody adds up. Like, exactly. you know what I mean, so yeah. I think if you can just do your part for the thing that you enjoy most and you're more aware and mindful, but then. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy wine more. There was a brilliant article by Dr. Richard Smart. Right. We, you know, <laughs> if, you study, if you study WSET, you'll remember Smart, you know, um, 
and all the different trellising systems. Um, but anyway, he he did a brilliant article for Jancis Robinson, mm-hmm. and he um, he talked about. Uh, he said, let me state at the outset that grape and wine production are not major contributors to the problem compared with, say, transport or electricity generation from coal. However, nor is the impact small and it could be easily reduced if wine producers were made more aware. And he says, for example, the Australian Wine Research Institute estimated that equivalent CO2 emissions for 2017 for the Australian wine sector were 1.6 million tonnes. This is not relevant. Oh, it is because he says... This can be compared with, for example, the figure for civil aviation in Australia, um, which produced 22 million tonnes in comparison. So wine production... I would need to see a graph here. I'm sorry. Well, 22 million versus 1.6 in Australia. That sounds a lot like a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, what parts of the wine production and consumption life cycle uh, particularly contribute to CO2 emissions? And he says studies show um, that uh, the problem areas are transport and glass packaging, accounting for a whopping 68% of the wine industry's carbon footprint. And this goes back to what we talked about. We talked about alternative wine packaging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now I had a question mark. You might remember in that in that episode where I said, look, when you talk about aluminium um, alternatives, aluminium based they're still not, well, I haven't seen enough evidence in terms of the carbon footprint for the mining of the aluminium and the, and all of that stuff. In terms of transport, it's clear that the carbon footprint for transporting glass is far, far higher. So, um, so yeah. I think there's a lot of unspoken truths about this kind of thing where some people might be putting their head in the sand a little bit and not actually admitting to the volume that they're contributing or packaging it a different way haha uh, cuz i had a start here about aluminium cuz i had a feeling you might bring something up you see uh-huh. um we did our own research on this and i didn't know where or how deep or stark antonia was going to go and i was trying to find some fun lighter notes on it but um i i have this is from uh, georgetown university uh-huh. and um recycling one aluminium can can uh, save enough energy to run a TV for three hours. So, okay, mm-hmm. I have no idea about how how it's mined or anything like that, but I just thought I'd try that in for yay, <laughs> aluminium cans. Random. Okay. Very interesting. Did you know in the middle of it? No, no. But can I just say about this guy Smart and what he says, Dr. Smart, I should say, he says wine bottles require much fossil fuel-based energy to manufacture and then to transport and maybe recycle. Wine bottles are round and tapered, shapes that are inefficient of space and are often as heavy as their contents. Little wonder that bottles are now considered inefficient. It is surely remarkable that the wine industry is still using packaging that dates from the 17th century. But he goes on to say that he absolutely believes that we're going to see um, a huge decline in the use of glass, glass bottles. Um, uh, in favour of all the alternatives, uh, you know, cardboard cartons, bioplastic bag and boxes, aluminium cans, all that stuff. So, like, it's it's really quite, it kind of projects this, you know, and um, it's that's, interesting. That's all, that's all really well, okay, and I, I, I get you. So, at the moment, I'm teaching a group of people wine appreciation courses, and we're kind of keeping it very much on trend and topical and kind of moving with their vibe at the moment of, what they know, what they they think they know and where I, you know, would like to lead them. 
without being preachy. And uh, next week or the week after, we're actually going to, I'm going to bring in alternative packaging. And again, I always kind of bring up, you know, if you're, have, what's the difference between a screw cap and a cork? And, you know, do, do you mind? And most say, no, 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 not at all. And it's like, very good. And put it here, here's a can of wine or here's a bag of wine. What do you think of that? And again, they straight away kind of, Mm, not sure, not sure. And then a, a guy, a listener recently said to me that he listened to our episode about alternative closures and our packaging. And he said that there's, he cannot sell screw cap wine for love or money, hmm. which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. So I think we have a lot of work to do to educate the trade and consumers and everybody as part of this Give Wine a Future movement. And it's not just, you know, oh yeah, do this and, and it'll be grand. I think there's a lot of work to be done because as you said, from the 17th century, glass bottles are around. So, mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden, okay, no, you can't have a glass bottle. I mean, that's what's expected. And in certain circumstances, it's just the way it is. So you need to kind of adapt your mindset to be open to change and alternatives. Yeah, well, we're not saying go out there and start buying like pouches of wine or bags and boxes and, and so on. Or I have a bottle. Cans- I mean, glass bottle in front of me at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to happen that way. And we I wouldn't do it. But I think we're, what we're saying is start making a few little conscious decisions, like, you know, get informed about the wineries, what their, you know, sustainability ethos is, what their practices are. Are they doing anything in terms of organic, biodynamic or just general sustainability? Um, you know, many, many wines or wineries are sustainable, have a cert- some sort of a certification around sustainability. It might be worth checking that out. Mm-hmm. Um, are, what are their packaging like? You know, just their general packaging, their labels and so on. Are they using recyclable materials? Um, and just go from there. I mean, you know, like I said, I, I'd be very reluctant to give up my glass bottle of wine at this moment in time. I don't, I, I would be reluctant to do that until maybe the offering and the alternative packaging is, mm-hmm. is, is better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we have a way to go there, but I, I do think we can make, we can make small choices, you know, in terms of, you know, what kind of wine we're buying, you know, from, from what are the producers we're buying from? What are they doing? What are the importers doing? who bring those wines in. And I think there is enough information out there widely available to be able to check that out. And that just obviously doesn't, uh, isn't confined to wine. It, it extends to to all goods and services that we're, we're purchasing. I know, but you see us as consumers, we kind of go somewhere and we are being flashed about these fancy products or new products or something different and it looks great or window displays. And you're like, oh yeah, I'll try this. And you kind of, that's what marketing obviously is, that you buy into the the story, the, the lifestyle of this particular product. And you don't necessarily be very conscious of the background and all the rest. So there was a particular label, again, with my course people. We I don't lecture. We have conversations about wine, to be honest. And uh, we, we just particular wine came up in conversation and that has put rosé on the on the map and their back label is like hear it whisper visit us and it'll whisper to you hmm. this kind of thing and instead of actually saying on the back label you know certified organic or certified sustainable or anything like that and I showed a Californian wine to a group last week and um, it's you know family 
uh, family estate since I think 1918 or something like that. And it was uh, certified sustainable. But yeah, it's just it's just more to kind of be mindful of what's behind, like you said, the brand. Are they doing anything and who is kind of leading the way? And is it is it important to the company? Because obviously we've made it clear that our ethos and our stance is for sustainable practices, not necessarily going for the, the or the natural winemaker and the funky style of wines, but it's more it's deep it goes deeper than that. Mm. I mean, I think we touched on this significantly, and as you said in episode four, about how it's not just about being organic, it's not just about being biodynamic, or even you know the whole natural wine um, movement and what that really means. And and taking a little look at that, um, we talked about it being more about sustainability, and we used mm-hmm. Piero Pan as the example mm-hmm. of a of a family of a winemaker or producer who says this. You know, it's not good enough to just be practicing organic viticulture and organic winemaking or biodynamic even, you know, it's got to be about an all-encompassing ethos that incorporates environmental, but also, you know, social um, and ethical practices at all levels, whether that's, um, you know, uh, equality in the labor force or, you know, your labor practices or your water conservation um, practices, integrated pest management, of course, your packaging, um, all of that, and even your, you know, your community reach. Okay. But it's not just confined to to small boutique producers. Or we, um, you and I have a ton of examples between us. Mm-hmm. Torres leading the way in this big time. Jackson Family Wines, like who are huge, they're mega. They have tons of wineries all over the world, and they have. They have made huge strides to setting an example in terms of sustainability. Um, Symington family, so they have all the, you know, the port houses. They're from mm-hmm. Portugal, the Wars, Dow, ta- uh, Taylor's Port, another um, another producer leading the way. My pr- recommendation. Oh, no, it wasn't. Sorry. Yeah. There's so That's many. So, so like an average consumer can go into the supermarket and actually make a choice to to buy a wine from a producer who's really driving this, um, driving the sustainability um, way of thinking, you know? Um, I know you're not on Twitter, Antonia. No, I'm not. Uh, Wine, the long and short of it is, under a wine story. But my good friend Tim Atkin uh, posted something yesterday or the day before, and it's Biodiversity in Action, one of Bodega's Valmar's, one of Bodega Valdemar's insect hotels. And yeah, it's like a little, little. He actually little put that on Twitter. For, for, Sorry, he put that on Instagram as well. Oh, do you as well? Yeah, I, I saw it. Yeah, I thought it was just special there seeing it on, oh, on Twitter. Sorry. But again, you were just, trying to be exclusive because I'm not on Twitter. Yeah, I was trying to like lead you, lead you <laughs> out of it. But again, it's just you know little things like that. Like Tim Akin is a master of wine, and again, he's highlight, highlighting this to people. And uh, there was a big conversation about that on Twitter, and it's great to see you know, people with such high, big reputations being able to actually speak about things that are a bit kind of nerdy, mm. I suppose. And like, this is all straight down your alley, Antonia. Like, do you know what I mean? But well, for me, when we said we were going to have this piece, I was like, look, I have to try not to rant about this or preach because we want to keep it upbeat and light. But at the same time, it is, it is serious, you know. Um, but, yeah. And I suppose within Give Wine a Future with what we are trying to say, I mean, 
we want to, you know, obviously do our best to emphasize and promote any wineries that are outstanding at doing sustainable practices within the winery, you know, or anything that they're trying to do to make a difference or an impact and and not not necessarily give out to people who aren't. But I think if they're making a load of bloody money that they should be doing something or I think as Pirapan fella said, they should be penalized if they're not doing anything because Mm -hmm. they're causing Exactly. They're contributing. They're the greatest contributor, yet it's the people who are trying to act sustainably that have to pay for certification costs. Yeah, certified. So I think I really strongly agree with that and I did at the time. I think the more you learn about wine, the less you seem to know. Yeah, no, I totally hear you. But this I to be honest with you, I was a bit um I'm gonna say a bit stressed out when I when when I had to think about all that we should say in this episode, because there's just so much, honest to God, Linda, there's so much. And, um, you know, when you come from a theory point of view and I think about things like MW content and, and, and stuff that I should be able to ream off because I have to be able to put it in a, in a, in a, in a paper, um, you, you know, your questions on climate change, they're never ending. That you can talk about climate change from a viticultural perspective, from a vinification perspective, from a business of wine perspective, from a packaging perspective. It just affects and touches on every facet of the wine industry. But the greatest thing for me is really, I mean, when you're talking about it, you have to remind yourself that we're talking about something that potentially impacts, um, you know, the, the, the possibility of wine being produced in the future. And the quality of it. We're talking about something that affects, as I said, uh, the livelihoods of ourselves in our lifetime, yeah. of our children, of our children's children in a massive and real way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just not fair. And it's not fair to do to people who don't have a choice, you know, the most really the, the most marginalized um, and vulnerable people. It's just not fair of us to do it as far as I'm concerned. So. I mean, when I look at it, though, in terms of the wineries itself, coming back to the whole winery piece, um, often we get asked, you know, what are the choices that a that a, a wine or viticulturist say can make in terms of, you know, uh, addressing or managing climate change, and yeah, you know, the options are very limited. You know, planting vineyards at higher altitude, mm-hmm. so torres are planting at higher altitudes at the foothills of the Pyrenees and the same in Argentina, they're going higher and higher. Um, but I mean, that's not an option for everyone. You know, that just you, you can't just kind of plant a mountain. Most people who are listening to this podcast would have some sort of awareness about, you know, wine and wine producers and, and the sustainability message possibly. But it's the people who are generally going into supermarkets possibly and purchasing a brand that is, you know, on offer or a grape that they recognize and they're just buying a drink, a, gl- a glass of wine, a bottle of wine for the sake of the drink. And they really, it isn't on their wavelength whatsoever. And it's again, no preachiness, but again, it's just to give them an idea of how they could choose slightly better because Chile is the number one uh, wine sales in Ireland, um, huge, followed by Spain. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, you know, like just to be pe- for people to be more aware of what they're purchasing and why, if yeah, they're being sold to because of branding, or if they're being, yeah. you know, if the if there's a brand that they're purchasing for a reason that they believe in their, um, yeah, 
message? I do think certification is coming into it a lot more. So like there are a lot of different certification bodies and depending whether you're old world, new world, you know, you, you might follow one or the other. But, um, but you, you know, it's a good guide for consumers who are saying, well, how the hell am I supposed to know? Like what's the sustainability practices are of a winery? It is a, a guide. And I think more and more wines um wineries are 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 conscious of that fact and are making sure that they are getting the relevant certification so um look out and we could even post linda um we could post or or put somewhere like a kind of a, a snapshot of of the different certification the different, yeah. yeah yeah seals and icons and so on that you could look out for which is a good starting point and again, in the, the restaurant that I, I've worked on, the wine list recently, I put on O for organic and for natural, V for vegan and SP for sustainable practices. And ah, a yeah. few on it. And I wanted to train the staff of what that means. And, I, and they were like, that's a bit weird. And I'm like, yeah, but here's the story. And no one's probably going to notice it. But for me, it was actually quite important to get it even on the list that I knew I worked on, you know. So, yeah, no, no, I think it's really important and I'm, I'm delighted to hear that. And I think. So am I. I was like delighted that they yeah. let me do what I want and uh, trusted me to to put that down because I think it's it's their future, you know. Yes, yes it is. It has to be. Mm-hmm. You wanted to touch on big brands, Linda. I just, I think safe to say, I just uh, like give you my tuppence worth before you, you kind of elaborate if you choose to elaborate on this. Um, that big brands are very much, a lot of them, are not bothered with this because they're just about big volume and, you know, um, you know, the commercial side of things and, and turning a profit and so on and so forth. But a lot of them are absolutely behind this movement and this creating this consciousness and, um, and big players at that, people that we mentioned already, like Torres and, um, Taylor's and Symington and all of these big, um, producers. And so like, I think it's great and it's so necessary because we need people like that to lead the way. It's the only way that um, a consumer who goes, for example, and buys their wine in a multiple or in a supermarket will be able to to really um, have have a contribution, make a contribution towards buying sustainably is to buy wines from producers like these who are, you know, rallying the troops and championing the, the movement forward connoisseur as well by the way anyone's to add to that yeah I completely echo what you're saying big time um I suppose for me bigger brands I've always worked in an independent wine shop and we wouldn't tend to sell the bigger brands because you know we'd look like robbers daylight robbers if we sold brands in an independent store for what we would be able to buy because we buy a case or two they have the buying power of you know tankards at a time and um or you know god pallets and pallets and pallets and pallets and you know we couldn't compete so we didn't compete and we didn't try to compete we did our own thing looking at smaller boutique wineries but if you didn't sell the branded big mass-produced wines at entry level in the supermarkets then there would be no cash flow to invest in bigger projects like innovation and all of that and as you said Torres. Uh, connoisseur and Mazzy would be three big players that I would say are you know at the forefront especially under the Give Wine a Future platform of you know leading the way so you know and again if you don't have 
the big players committed to it, then you're not going to be able to do anything. Well, you're not going to have the reach. No, you know, no. I mean, like, they have the platform, they have the volume, they have, you know, that 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 financial muscle, as you said, to to reinvest into uh, sustainability programs. I I did a, a, a recent uh, wine tasting there with Torre's uh, Celeste uh, brand uh, under the stars. Uh, lovely romantic thing. I did it last year as well because again, it's a brand that I enjoy working with, and. Um, you know, I, I looked up Miguel Torres and his little his, his little story on, on, on YouTube, a little YouTube video of all the ways that they are, you know, attempting to work more sustainably with solar paneling, with just so many different things in their winery um, to, to help this huge sustainable topic. OK, so I've got a did you know quiz. We'll go there first. Yeah. Did you know? The five warmest years have occurred in the last 10 decades. Yeah, God. What? What do you mean? The five warmest years have occurred in the last decade. You said, I thought you said 10 decades. I was <laughs> like, yeah, the last 100 years, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> that's great months. <laughs> in the last decade. Well, yeah, no, that's a bit, um, that's a, a bit of a reality check, isn't it? It's a bit mad, isn't it? Okay, so this is another one. I'm going to ask you this. Okay, so a plastic bag. Say you to go and buy a plastic bag for your shopping. How long do you think you'd use it for? I know that's a bit Uh, What do you mean? How many days? So, like, what would you do? So, just, I actually went to the shops today and I forgot to bring shopping bag with me. Yeah, And I said, I'm not buying a bag. And it wasn't because of the 50, 70 cent that it is. It was like, I'm just not buying a bag. I know. So I had myself and the two kids carry more things that we needed to carry, <laughs> dropping things left, right and centre because I wasn't buying a bag. Yeah. So because the life cycle of that plastic bag is on average, an average plastic bag is used for 12 minutes, but will remain in the environment for a thousand years before it no way yeah now that's massive isn't it now these are not my stats i didn't go and study that and and decide that it's a thousand years or anything these are georgetown university stats on their project on sustainability okay so um what country do you think has the best recycling rate in the world switzerland or somewhere like that germany ah yeah followed by Switzerland. <laughs> Austria. Austria, correct. Yeah. And then South Korea. Okay. And then Wales. That's interesting. I okay. know, I know. I, find, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Okay, so um, Jane Fonda, good friend of mine. Love her in Frankie and Grace. I uh, yeah, brilliant. Or Jane Fonda. Yeah. Um, she spoke at Georgetown in January 2020 and she has been arrested a total of how many times do you think? Oh, she's brilliant. She's for her involvement in climate pro- protests. She's yeah, been but arrested. over the, oh, okay, so are you, because over the years she was always involved in different human rights campaigns yeah. and I remember watching the Oscars like years ago and she was, they always reflected back onto. I kind of want to be like her, like though, oh, do you know what I mean? Amazing. I don't want to be preachy, but I want to be like, yeah, do you remember Linda when she did that thing? Cool. <laughs> she got arrested and thrown into jail. How many times was Has she been arrested Fonda for arrested? climate change or in general? No, a total of so many uh, times for climate protests. Um, let me say five. Yeah, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. five. No way. 
So she nearly spent her 82nd birthday in jail, apparently. Oh, she's amazing. <laughs> I know. What what a legend. Mm. And uh, let me try and get this right. The Carbon Neutral Cities Alliance, CNCA, is compro- uh, comprised of 21 global cities with a common goal of reducing greenhouse gas emissions by at least 80% by 50-50. Now, I, I fell asleep before the end of that sentence. Oh, sorry. I fell asleep at the beginning of your... <laughs> Welcome to I'm the pretty podcast. pretty sure we've lost every <laughs> listener on that note. <laughs> okay. D- did you know? I'm sure you did. No, you did don't you? have to repeat it. I'm sure everyone else caught it. Just me. I'm just tired. I was giving you a new one. Oh, sorry. Go EU on. banned single-use plastics of cutlery, straws, and cotton buds that have plastic on them. Since Isn't when? That a good thing. I don't know. It didn't tell me so. But I, I thought they still have them out there. No, look, it's banned. I don't know. Okay, you can scrap this if you want. No, good to know. Good to know. Thank you. So I wrote down here in my notes, Antonia. Right, do better, and it was like just reminded me of school. We can all do better, but it just reminded me of everything written in my school reports. Oh all God, the time. that's a little bit. That makes I mean, me a, little, a bit sad. I know, but that. Like, it's because I was that you felt that you had to instead of just accepting the fact that you know you had strengths elsewhere. Yeah, <laughs> leave <laughs> off. <laughs> uh, this was more of my. I remember Miss McConville, our geography teacher who I was just a messer in the class. Then she pulled me up to the front. and I, I loved her, by her. the way. Sorry, I loved her. I um, loved her. She moved me right under her nose for three years. Could under you blame her, her? Huh? Could you blame her? <laughs> well, God love her. But in fairness, I paid a little bit more attention. I suppose that did help me with wine because, so it's her fault that I'm in the wine industry because geography is what she thought. And, uh, you know, I paid more attention. I said, oh, I wonder if grapes could be grown there. Oh, well, there you go, you see. Uh, she was then the principal. I know, she? after we left, yeah. Yeah. I love So her. can I do this thing? What thing? Can you let me? What thing? The acrostic. Sure. I don't know what you're going to do. Do Am I involved? No. Oh, but, right. Go okay, on. So, so apparently, I'm probably getting this completely wrong. Will you look it up and see if I'm getting it? The spelling of it right so it's acrostic so it's basically where you say the word and this word is going to be sustainable and I give you a word for each of the first of the letters in the word okay so let's just go yeah so, it's called acrostic yeah acrostic okay yeah. so s give me an source. s s source <laughs> look at the source of where you're buying your products you Understand the winery's ethos. S. Support wineries doing their bit. T. Topical. Have these awkward conversations without feeling nerdy. A. Be more aware. I. Integrity. Look at brands that are have their integrity about them or whatever I'm trying to say. You know what I mean? N. <laughs> say no to brands that aren't doing their bit. A. Awaken your senses to wineries that are doing their bit again. Okay, I kind of run out of things to say. B, buying power. (laughs) 
L, labels. Look at the labels because, as Antonia said, that, uh, you know, some wineries are using recycled labels, etc. That's important. Well, look at the labels as well for the certification. And look at the labels yeah. for certification. I didn't write my full notes here. And E, um, it affects every one of us. E, oh, you're sustained. It's sustainable. sustainable. Okay. And that's sustainability. We'll be here till tomorrow. So, well, Linda, I was just going to say that's super catchy, I'm sure. <laughs> sure. It'll rhyme off everyone's tongues. <laughs> Okay, it was more of a like essay in half and I thought I'd seem real, you know. So give me an S U S T A I N B L E E. Brilliant. Seriously, we have um bloopers for you to listen to if you got this far. Well done you. Yes, definitely. And you deserve a glass of wine. Yeah. Are we doing wine recommendations? Yes, we're doing wine recommendations and my wine wine little my wine recommendation this week is, I mentioned them already, the Torres brand, the Celeste Under the Stars uh, range. You mentioned, you actually, it was like you stole my thunder earlier on um, because again, higher altitude uh, plantings of the Tempranillo grape in Roberto del Duero. And as I said, I recently did a tasting for them, but I actually have been recommending that wine, I suppose, since I started teaching wine to you know uh consumers in in sweeney's wine store and it was always like everyone knew rioja rioja everyone knew it so i always show them a roberto del duero as an alternative as being a really elegant style wine and for me it just you know under the stars means that they they tend to uh harvest at night in the cooler night and um they look up at the stars and they see you know, imagine, imagine that. Imagine how beautiful it is, you know, picking grapes at high altitude in the middle of the night. Isn't it just beautiful? beautiful. And, and, um, but it has the constellation on the bottle as well. So it has this lovely little, um, you know, you might have, you, you might know it's a navy, a navy bottle. Like it looks like the night sky with little stars on it. It's beautiful, really simple. But the wine is just so elegant and so lovely. Now I would say if you're getting it, decant it. That's a wine I would say do decant it because it needs a little bit of time to open up and mellow. Um, and it's available, uh, I suppose, in O'Brien's and some supermarkets as well around the 20, 22 euro mark. Occasionally it's on offer for about 19. But as you know, I'll only recommend a wine if I think it's worth the, the full price that they're paying. So that that is that they're selling for so that's one i would recommend um and i i've always been really fond of it so there you go what about you antonia have you got anything yeah i have to say this was a bit of a last minute.com thing for me this evening um and there's so many wines that come to mind because obviously i was thinking about the sustainability theme as well and as you know from earlier in the season i was really um influenced and impacted by my visit to Piero Pan. And I just, yeah, I just loved everything about their ethos. So um, I don't know. I don't think at the time that I recommended one of their wines, but there were a couple, we, we tasted a lot of their wines in the winery and people know them for their, you know, their Suave, the Piero Pan Suave, which is like a, a really expressive, a really excellent example of a good suave with, you know, lovely uh, citrus and kind of bitter almond notes and you know, lovely crisp acidity and all of that. But they also have a couple of single vineyard wineries. So 
single vineyard, meaning that um, obviously it, they produce from their own vineyards, um, only from their own vineyards. They don't buy in grapes from elsewhere. And they have a couple of vineyard sl- sites that they um, have identified of, as having really unique uh, terroir characteristics and they want to express them in the wine. So they have one called uh, uh, Calvarino is one of their uh, uh, vineyard sites. And the other one is called La Roca. And it's actually really interesting because they're, they produce a, a different wine from each vineyard, solely from the grapes of each vineyard. So one is called the Piero Pan Calvarino and the other one is called Piero Pan La Roca. And the Calvarino is um, is kind of two faux basalt kind of um, quite kind of granitic soils and they're steep and they're rocky. And the wine that it that comes from this vineyard is uh, really kind of crisp and citrusy. And even though it has a little bit of time on the leaves, it's got real minerality and saltiness and it's really refined and precise. And then the one from La Roca is, it comes from kind of clay and calcareous soils. And it spends a year in oak and it's completely opposite in style. So it's quite, it kind of veers into exotic fruits. It's richer in style. It has, um, you know, apple, bit of mango, bit of pineapple. It has those citrus notes, but it's kind of creamy with biscuit notes. Um, and it's broader, but it still maintains like a tension between the, you know, the lovely fruit, the creaminess and sort of really nice, fresh acidity. So that would be one of the wines I was going to say, because they're both in the Irish market, but La Roca is probably more, it is, yeah. Don't be looking at me like that. Piero Pan. I have never seen it. And if, how much is it? Okay. Well, I am going to recommend one other one that's at a better price point. But Piero Pan, La Roca, I know for a fact you can get it in 64 wines. I know you can get a wine online as well. Online, if you, if you want to, I mean, that's a good way to go as well, to buy wines online. Green Man Wines has La Roca. I think it's probably around €35. Euro. Um, but I'm going to give a shout out. Oh, did I ask you, sorry, yeah. just the, the grape? Because a lot of oh, people sorry. think that Suave is the grape. Garganega. Suave is the region. So Suave is the region. Garganega is the grape variety, always. Well, I, I mean, for whites, it's usually Garganega. Um, yeah. They might, they might blend a little bit of Trebbiano in there, but um, in this case, sorry, it's 100% Garganega. Yeah. And then a second wine at, at a better price point, and this one is quite new into the market and I wanted to, I wanted to mention it because yesterday I was at the Portuguese wine fair, which was brilliant and it really put the spotlight. Raging. That was brilliant, Linda. I, I adore Portuguese wine. We've always said that they... They were, you know, they're exceptional value. Yes, exceptional yes, value. They yeah. yeah, they are. They're brilliant. They're so diverse. There's so many different styles, so many different grape varieties, great quality, great value for money. Yeah, just really good quality coming out of Portugal at really good price points and a huge, like really massive versatility in terms of the diversity of their style. So you have, you know, your crisp Vino Verdes, your Alvarinos and all of that. And then you go into like really rich, robust kind of Douro Reds and and lovely crisp whites coming out of Alentejo. And actually the, the one I'm going to mention now is from Alentejo, which is more southerly. 
slightly inland, hot, dry summers, but they still has a little bit. It's not too far from from the coast. It has a bit of that Atlantic maritime influence. So that's why I think even though um, this region is hot, it still it still manages to maintain these wines manage to maintain good acidity because it has a bit of maritime influence. Some kind of freshness to them as well, is it? Totally. And it's one from the Symington family. And as I mentioned earlier, the Symington family are really like really uh, spearheading the way to towards like, you know, they're taking massive strides towards sustainability. They are B Corp certified. I let people look up what that means. Um, there's very, well, I think there's four. There's like, there's going to be like a huge Google yeah. search now on this. Well, B Corps are now like one of the highest standards for social envir- and environmental performance and transparency and all of that. So um, fair play to them. And um, they have a bunch of wineries all over Portugal. Um, they have port houses, but they have still, you know, wine wineries and so on. So, um, but they're doing loads in, in, in the in the area of sustainability. And this little number it comes from one of their wineries down in Alentejo, which is called Quinta de Fonte Soto. Shaudo. I don't know how they pronounce it in Portuguese because I'm. What do you mean? It's Quinta de Fonte. It's Quinta de. <laughs> Sorry. Tell us how to say that, will you? Actually, you probably know better than I do. <laughs> I haven't a clue what wine you're talking about. Never mind what you're trying to say. <laughs> well, you know the way you, they do the old shh for the S. So it's Quinta, I think, da Fonte, Shaudo. Shaudo. Instead of Sauto. Um, and it's called. Uh, Florao, I suppose, is the pronunciation. Florao, have you seen this one? We'll put this on social, folks. And yeah, we will. Videos. So it, it it it's a blend of arindo, which is a, a a native white grape for in Portugal. It's a real workhorse grape. It's got really good structure, good workhorse, good body. Yeah, it is though, and it's got twenty percent verdejo, which is the equivalent to Verdejo in Spain, which you and I know all about now. If you've listened to our last episode, episode 11 on our trip to Arueda, you'll know all about Verdejo. It's unoaked. um, It's a lively, bright, aromatic expression. It's kind of green apple and mango. Um, It's lots of floral notes, honeysuckle notes, and it's just lovely citrusy kind of zesty acidity, really fresh and vibrant and well-balanced. And this one is under 20 euro. I think it's about 17, 18 euro in Searson's. And I think a different, a whole bunch of independents are picking it up now. It's imported by Tyndall. So um, yeah, I and Piero Pan, the one I mentioned is imported by the La Roca and the Calvarino are imported by Liberty. And again, I think it's available, widely available in different Independence. I know I'm talking a lot about independence. Look, I think you 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 kind of tick the the box in terms of Torres being probably more widely available. And I think in season two, Linda, we will um try and incorporate, I suppose, some wines that are a bit more accessible to those because we've heard from people all around the country and in other uh, markets. Yeah, they don't saying, necessarily yeah. have Family we need to be on their door. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we need to be conscious of that, which is fair enough. So thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, you, We are taking a little short break now for a little while. Uh, Antonia has to get her head dug into the books and I have a bit of a social life that I need to catch up on. <laughs> <laughs> so we are coming back to you for a few Best of episodes, uh, which involve the C word and lots of fun things to do with that. 
And no, we're only taking a short break, Linda, aren't we? I mean, oh no, I know. We're like what three weeks? We're probably going to be back on about two or three weeks. So, but I mean, we do need to play a bit of. There won't be an episode next week. Is what we're trying to say, or probably the week. Stop crying! Stop crying, everyone. (laughs) Okay. Um, but we're going to come back with a few bumper bonuses with extra recommendations and all the rest and uh, Christmas dinner wines Christmas gifting bubbles all the stuff that we love to talk about I think we need to get like some you know have a little studio session with some food and wine We'll have our Christmas party on air on on, on air on air I was going to say it was not exactly on air but it's close enough (laughs) <laughs> That'd be hilarious. <laughs> um, okay, thank you so much. And again, if you have any suggestions or comments or feedback, we'd love to hear from you at our wine podcast at gmail.com. Thanks a million. See you Good soon, listening. folks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs> okay, nice. let's do it. Cheers again. Cheers. Because now we're about in the pink. Cheers. What not to do in a restaurant. (laughs) Proper wine etiquette. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Welcome to hell. (laughs) La 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 la. (laughs) I'm so bored with myself, I can't speak. Okay. 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 I do know what I want to say. I just wasn't saying it. So let's. Where are we starting from? Right. Should we start with one of these quiz things to get us going, giddy? Um, Or do you want to go here? I think. Look. Look. Let's give this a lash. Right. (laughs) Give it a lash, Jack. Give it a lash, Jack. Never, never, never never say no. In this episode, we're going to talk about uh, very common wine myths and some wine hacks. So be sure to listen in. They're listening right now. <laughs> Hopefully. You have been listening to Wine, the Long and the Short of It with me, Antonia Dominguez, and me, Linda Coogan, in proud partnership with Give Wine a Future. Mm-hmm.